Okay, I think we're talking about what happened when we find out our cabin was a jackrabbit cabin and not a single family home. I did not do my full research to understand what owning a wreck cabin meant. And when I read this specific document, it really freaked me out. Additionally, the city was about to start to regulate the rest of the six or 700 Airbnbs in the county because they had been flying under the radar for so long. And so we had jumped in at the tail end of this. However, it just got complicated really fast. Welcome back to another episode of Rewilding Parenthood, a week-by-week podcast series hosted by me, Colin Boyd, and my partner, Sophie Aldino. Each week, we cover our family's rewilding journey by sharing stories, advice, and wisdom gained in traveling full-time in our converted 1978 Mercedes 508D command and control vehicle across North America. We are so happy to bring you the third installment of our three-part series, Buying an Abandoned Jackrabbit Cabin in Joshua Tree, California. In the first two episodes, we covered the Genesis moment, falling in love with the land, having the offer accepted, and the first couple of months of the build-out. Now, we are going to lead into the final stages of the project and where the Afuera Vida Casita sits today. So sit back and enjoy the final episode of our Joshua Tree series. Hey, Soph, what time is it? It's 12, 17 in the middle of the day, actually. I know, we can't keep the late night show up and running anymore. Too much going on, but we are lucky enough to have family around right now, so we're taking advantage of that. And we left the kids with Colin's sister just for an hour um, to record this last episode of the series Afura Vida Casita. So like most of our episodes coming out over the next couple of months, we'll be in South Portland, Maine, not in the van, enjoying Maine in its prime time. So yeah, that's where we are. We're still in our old home here. It feels so nice to be back. How's the vibe, Self? The vibe is good. I guess we have been spending a lot of time apart, so that means like the vibe is really good. <laughs> yeah, we've just been enjoying the beach, enjoying the summer, seeing family, seeing friends. So everything has been, it's been good. It's been a fun week. So what have we been up to this week, Cole? Well, Sophie was here by herself for four days. I took the kids away on a mission, a little boys trip up to the family lake house, which was awesome. I had a chance to get together with their little cousins, and that was just a really rich and rewarding experience. I don't know what Sophie was doing here for four days by herself, but hopefully she enjoyed it. Very much. I left her with a car too, so didn't just leave her stranded. <laughs> <laughs> what else have we been doing? We're playing catch up on a lot of the digital projects that have been put on the back burner the last three to six months or so, ever since the Joshua Tree Project. And we're also going through another downsizing process after spending a year on the road. I think some of the takeaways coming back into quote-unquote normal life has been it's a lot easier to get rid of things that are unnecessary. So we are intending to go back to the van and back on the road or go back somewhere. And we just have a whole lot of things that were stored here in basements that we really just don't need. So it's been a lot easier to let go. Living minimally on the road, it's it's made it easier to get rid of the excess things that we have. And then also, I think the past two weeks is, for me personally, it's been a lot easier to just enjoy the company of friends and family and the space rather than 
feel the need to step on the gas and start chomping through the enormous list of things that always needs to be done. So another benefit of spending a year on the road of learning how to spend your idle time well. Okay, so... Cole, are we ready to dive right into the show? Absolutely. Where'd we leave them at the end of the last episode? I think we were talking about what happened when we find out our cabin was a jackrabbit cabin and not a single family home, <laughs> which is like <laughs> weird to imagine that we would have thought that that was a single family home because it's basically like four walls, <laughs> four walls standing up. For the past 50 years. So what happened when we find out? <laughs> I feel like a complete jackass for not actually doing the real research before buying it. And I think that was half of my sense of overwhelm and anxiety when the picture started to become clear that there were real rules and regulations about owning a recreational cabin in San Bernardino County. And the implications of that were truly impacting our ability to reap the reward of our investment and hard work. So it became, to me, quite scary quite fast that we had basically just thrown a bunch of money down the toilet. The implications of having a rec cabin in California were a bit beyond what I initially imagined. At first, I knew that the county of San Bernardino was in the process of regulating Airbnbs. That was one concern. However, I knew that this was a rec cabin, so it wasn't a part of the regulations. However, I did not do my full research to understand what owning a rec cabin meant. And when I read this specific document, it really freaked me out. And then additionally, on top of that, the city was about to start to regulate the rest of the six or 700 Airbnbs in the county because they had been flying under the radar for so long. And those owners, whether they were single family homeowners, cabin owners, yurt owners, were all quite nervous because over the last 10 years, they have basically had a free-for-all and created one of the fastest growing Airbnb markets in the country. And so we had jumped in at the tail end of this, hoping to also ride their coattails because there's still room for others there. However, it just got complicated really fast. It didn't seem to me that anyone knew what the path was. Fortunately, Sophie had befriended a, a woman named Stephanie who knew all about this and she came over and, and kind of gave us the behind the scenes lowdown on what actually was happening and needed to happen. Do you remember our visit with... Yeah, that's true. Stephanie took the lead on this and she and somebody else, Thomas, are the communicators with the county and with us, the rest of the people that are having these issues with the recreation cabins. So, yeah, it was a bit neurotic, but this actually taught us a big lesson that I think if we ever going to buy another property, we got to do just our research before buying. Not be so <laughs> impulsive. Yes. I mean, it's nice to be impulsive, but I think you can be impulsive with responsibility. Anyway, but, you know, we kind of cooled down and we we're like, we're not going to sell it. We're just going to keep it and we're going to fix it and we're going to see what happened. And I think, you know, we were both really glad that we actually did that because when we see the before and after of what we have created, it's just so awesome. It's like a really cool place that, you know, let you be creative and also be connected to to the land and 
Yeah, it's just a really awesome place. Yeah, it's been really rewarding to go back through the photos mm -hmm. and videos and pull some some of those out for to share on the stories this past few weeks to share along with the photos. So a little bit of high level what was going on with the docks. At this time, Sophie had left for Argentina. I dropped in on a meeting on the Airbnb front. And what I learned there as well was that because we were a recreational cabin, we wouldn't be regulated in the same way that the single family homes were just because it was overly complicated for the county to deal with. So that additionally created a little bit of breathing room for us to just kind of sit back and wait and see what's going to happen because we certainly weren't the first people who were confronting this problem. Fortunately, like Sophie said, we committed, recommitted to the process and allowed the bureaucracy to do what it does best. And we would just continue on and see what happened. I also want to add that for me, you know, my personal work, I do documentary work. So for me, this meant a lot. It wasn't just like, okay, we might need to, you know, in order to get a permit, we might need to go through the process of getting this cabin into a single family home. But that maybe meant that we needed to like tear the whole cabin down and rebuild it. So the problem here for me and what I saw is like, if everyone that owns a jackrabbit cabin needs to do this, that means that like a part of history is going to disappear. We didn't share how these jackrabbit cabins end up in Joshua Tree. If you're curious about it, you can do your own research. But in a few lines, basically, back in the 50s, they were basically giving land away. So people that live around the area that were interested in owning a piece of land, they will come over and they build these little cabins all around the, the Mojave Desert. I don't know if like it's all the Mojave Desert. Or, and today, if you drive around, a lot of them seem like these abandoned cabins. Some of them have graffiti. Some of them don't even have windows or doors. But some of them, the people actually conserve them and put some love into it. And I think it's like a really unique piece for the Mojave Desert. And I would hate to see these cabins just like being destroyed. There's actually an audio piece that was recorded by Stephanie about the history of this cabin. So if anyone is interested about listening more or learning more, you guys can message us and I would be happy to share more info about this. So let's go back to the building, all the fun <laughs> and hard work. We were actually getting, I think it was January, we were getting anxious about finishing the project and we had the great idea to kick me and the kids out of the country and <laughs> send us to Argentina so Colin could have some time to finish everything we needed to finish or at least whatever you know, he was able to finish. So I booked my ticket to go to Argentina. And then what projects did you focus on while I was away with the kids? I went surfing. Not surprised. <laughs> and then I think at the end of my third session of the first day, I was like, oh my God, what am I doing here? I need to go back and, and finish the work. So that's pretty much what I did. The first project was the outdoor shower. So that meant digging up the water line and running new hard line water plumbing in the shower where, where we want to. First, we had to clear the earth, build the shower structure, plumb it 
in with water in and then also create a gray water system going out. So the gray water system that I created had five holes where the water would drain to feed various gardens and trees throughout the property. And I think the whole line is almost 50 feet. So it's pretty robust. I was pretty happy with that. And I think it feeds three specific garden beds and and a handful of trees that really love the water. So that was a huge project. Thank you, Adam and Leander for backing me up and coming in and helping me dig those ditches and lay those lines. Once the shower was done, that was a game changer. I think we went four months on the property without a proper shower. And this was a propane hot water shower. So some people will give us shit for saying that it's an off-grid cabin because we use propane. So technically, no, it's not off-grid. And technically, it's not off-grid because it has water, city water on the property. But hey, that's how we get hot water there. And we think it's great. The shower is awesome. It also functions as a bathtub for the kids and then our laundry machine when we're there and we need it. I think next, the big projects were really just finishing up all the odds and ends around the house. So it was painting of the windows. They're, you know, original windows to the property. So 70 years old, those needed a lot of work to get them functioning smooth again. And then prep for the power system. So I found solar panels. I got the batteries in. I started running the lines where I wanted, got my inverter and finally got the balls up to do my own system. And I think that probably went down by the time Sophie came back, but it went in really smooth. And from that point, we we had power. And fortunately, the house was already wired. It had a bunch of electrical receptacles and light switches and ceiling lights. So all I had to do was juice up the main, and then we had a breaker box that would handle and distribute the power in the way that it originally was meant to do. So that was that was great. I mean, after that, there were some other projects. I think the mulch, that, that turned into a, a massive job. I think that was probably the first week that Sophie got back. Yeah, that was crazy. I think I got back and Colin was like, I found somebody that is giving mulch away. I was not expecting a full U-Haul truck <laughs> full of mulch. That was insane. Thank you. Um, what was his name? He was awesome. He helped us out. It was actually really great because the problem in the desert is like when you're going to water your plants, you have to do it in a very slow way. That way you make sure the plants absorb as much water as needed. And the mulch helps keep the moisture to fit the plants. That was a A plus, I say. Double A plus. <laughs> Double A plus. Also, the mulch just really, once that, that went into the pistachio grove, it went into the garden beds that I had really been visioning and the stuff around the trees. We had reset all the tree rings, reset the irrigation lines. That was another big project was irrigating. But once the mulch went in, this place, the exterior sense of the space really all came together because there was a true definition between what a path was and what a garden bed was. And I think that's one of the big problems in the desert it's just sand. It's really hard to create functional outdoor space that feels different from one another. So the mulch really helped with that. But it did almost kill me. I was down for a week after moving like 2,000 pounds of mulch, which was totally nuts. That was it for mulch. And I think we were pretty much ready to get out of the property and let some other people come and enjoy it. And that would have been the dream since the start. So we started thinking about what are we going to do? We had been thinking about it all along. The big debate was, would we rent it long term or would we do an Airbnb? I pushed more to rent it to somebody full time. And Colin was more into Airbnb, but 
in the end, we found this couple that they really wanted to move in and we thought we'd give it a try and it was it was great. We had a little issue with, they had a cat and the cat kept going under the bed where we have all the electricals. So it wasn't a, an ideal situation, but in the end, actually the girls moved out and we have another girl in there now. You know, the property is there really for people to live full time or maybe we'll rent it to Airbnb. But we also have like big dreams, maybe be able to host a retreat there. And hopefully Colin will be the first one to host a retreat there. Um, So I think the biggest debate all along was whether we would do short term rental or long term rental at the end of the project. And we had been really kind of playing it by ear and debating. But the decision was made for us right about when we we were done with the property because the county made it illegal to do short-term rentals in Joshua Tree because of COVID-19. So we moved forward with renting to a couple of girls that were out there because of the marine base, and that worked just fine. What do you think, Soph? Yeah, I think it was great. It was great to have somebody full-time. I was all about that. Yeah, I was too. It was great to know that somebody was there looking after the plants, even though they totally didn't. (laughs) They left suddenly. We were back there in the summer. We had a lot of work to do. The place needs a lot of love. But now it's it's rented again long-term, and and in the fall, it may be short-term rental, so we'd love to have you come and stay at the Afuera Vida Casita. Check it out on Instagram. But I think, you know, Seth's going to tell us about the whole vision and purpose about this property, which was to begin with about creating a space in the desert that we could share. Yeah, that was... That was the vision of the property, to have a space where we could share with others in different forms. People could come and stay for a weekend by themselves, or we can just host a retreat there by somebody else, or maybe by us. And yeah, I think we we created a beautiful space. Like every time I'm there, I'm just like amazed about how we we transformed this abandoned cabin into a really beautiful space. And also just this summer, we had to go back there for a couple of weeks and seeing all the plants so alive. I was like, wow, I was amazed. Because Stephanie, this woman that we met in the desert, she came came to a property one day to help me identify the plants that we had at the property. And she told me that every time she drove by this property, everything seems kind of dead and half alive. So I didn't actually have too much hope for the plants to be that alive. But in the summer, everything was just so green and alive. And, you know, I think that was a result from all the effort and love that we put in the landscape. And it looks awesome. So yeah, as Colin said, all of you are welcome to come and spend a weekend. If you like, you can find out more about the property through Instagram. We have an Instagram account that is called Afuera Vida Casita, where we sometimes post some photos. (laughs) We're excited for the next years to come and see what else we create. It's definitely a place where we can be creative. So that was for me, Cole. What was your... I think in this time and place right now with COVID-19, it's really become a place that people enjoy because it's so integrated with the outdoors. Right in front of the our property is a one mile square block of Mojave Desert Land Trust land that can never be built upon. And not that we have many neighbors out there to begin with, but the, our one neighbor closest to us isn't even there. So the place is really, truly dead quiet at night. The shooting stars are insane. We saw the... Uh, the comet. The comet. Thank you. So yeah, self's right. We'd love to have you come and stay. 
It's maybe available come the fall on Airbnb. Check it out over there. All right. Well, that's it from us today. Thanks so much for tuning in again. That wraps up our three-part series on buying an abandoned jackrabbit cabin in Joshua Tree, California. Head on over to Instagram stories. Those are only live for 24 hours or so, but we try to do a good job to share some of the funny moments from the past to um, bring you up to speed about that. We'll be coming out next week with a new episode, new topic. If you have any ideas for us, just hit us up over at Afuera Vida on Instagram. Thank you so much to Mercedes Riva for the editing and Mechi as well as Thomas Durell for the music. And we'll see you all back here next week. Thanks for tuning in. Adios.